Good evening. Thanks for coming. Um, the Shear tonight. We have two sponsors on the Shear tonight. Both of them are anonymous. Um, one is sponsoring in honor of her birthday, Chavtes Adar, and the schus of her family and friends. So we have a little clue first. The anonymous is a her. Okay. And uh, for her family and friends, for only revealed good, and also Le'ilinishmas Uri Nisan ben Menachem Mendel, who passed away two years ago, Purim. May his neshama have a very great aliyah. And you, Anonymous, should have a wonderful, wonderful, good, good year. Shnas bracha natzlacha. Mazel bracha and only, only good things in all aspects of your life. And whatever your heart desire is, Hashem shall fulfill it in a very, very big way. Especially since today is the month of Nisan, the month of miracles. Chodesh Nisan, it's the Rosh Hashanah for miracles. May all, everything be miraculous in your life. In a, in a way of thank you for that dedication the other dedication was by Anonymous as well may Hashem bench Anonymous with abundant blessings in the material and in the spiritual with mazel bracha and only 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 good things and great 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 miracles in your life as well um, in every aspect that you can imagine and beyond your imagination. Thank you for the dedications. Here's another anonymous dedication for tonight's class. In honor of his brother's yurtzeit, Moshe ben Avram. May his neshama have a very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May he channel lots of brachas to you and your family for much mazel bracha and only, only goodness. Thank you so much. The CD this week is still available for anybody that would like to dedicate the CD. Uh, if you're listening to the class and you like the class and the shear and or the CD, you can retroactively claim the schus. Just let us know, and thank you so much. Okay, we are about to begin. Uh, it's exciting this week. We are starting to learn a new sefer in the Torah. We begin sefer Vayikra. Um, the book of Vayikra is deals, at least in the beginning, most of the book. It's called Sefer HaKarbonos, the sefer of sacrifices. It deals with the sacrifices. And um, it is a very interesting thing that we know that when children begin studying Torah, are primarily Jewish boys, um, when they're very, very young, their first introduction to Torah is in the book of Ayikra. They begin, the Rebbe, uh, the Malamid, begins teaching the children in the beginning of the book of Ayikra, they don't learn much of the book. They learn, you know, one or two or three verses in the beginning of Ayikra, and then they go on to learn something else. But the beginning of all learning is of Ayikra. I quote this from Shulchan Aruch, Yeridea, Simon Reish Mem Hey. There is a chapter, there is a, a, a section in Halacha called Hilchis Malamdim, the laws of uh, school teachers. That's Malamdim, in Simon Reish Mem Hey. Um, chapter 245. And over here in the Shach, um, Sifches, um, in Shulchan Arach, so the Shach in Sifches, it says, Machnisen Hatinoikos, Kaseva Kolboy. The Kolbo writes, Simenai in Dale, chapter 74. Maschilin loy mesefe Vayikra. And when we begin teaching children, we begin with them in the book of Vayikra. Shekein Omru Rabbanan Zal. 
because the sages say, Maschilin letenoikos mesefer vayikra. We begin reading for the tenokos for children from the book of Vayikra, lefisha amar hakadosh baruchu, because God said, Yavoyu tahoyrim, let those that are pure come, v'yisasku b'taharis, and let them involve themselves in that which is pure. V'chein nahagu achshav, and the shach adds, and so is the, the, the way it is the custom today, that all children begin to study in the book of Vayikra. Okay, that's the... So we're, we're the Kolbo, which is one of the halachic uh, codifiers of Allah in the early... Um, where is he taking this? So this is something that's stated in a few places in the Midrash. In Midrash, first we begin with Midrash Rabbah. So not an hour parsha, but a next week's Torah portion, Parsha Tzav. In Vayikra Rabbah, in Parsha Tzav, it says like this. Um, parsha Zion, for those who want to look it up. Parsha Zion, uh, Simon Gimel. It says, Amar Rab Asi, Rab Asi says, Mipnei ma maschilin letinoikos betoras kahanim. Why do we begin in for children in the Torah of Kohanim? Another name for the book of Ayikra is Torah's Kohanim, the Torah of the Kohanim, because it speaks about the sacrifices and the service in the temple, which was done by the Kohanim. Why don't we begin in the book of Bereshis? The little children are very pure and they're very innocent. And the sacrifices are pure. Yavoyu tahoyrim, let those, let those that are pure, let them come. Let the ones that are pure, yisasku b'tahoyrim, and let them engage, let them busy themselves which is, with that which is pure. That's the Midrash Rabbah. Similar to this, we have also a Midrash Tanchuma. Okay, there's two primary Midrashim. This is Midrash Rabbah, Midrash Tanchuma. So here we see similar statement, a little bit different. We're going to discuss a few different elements over here. Here it says like this, Amar Rabbi Asya. See in the Medrash, in Medrash uh, Rabbit, it, it, it calls him Asi. Over here it's Asya. Must be the same person. Why do we begin for uh, with the, the little children to learn in the book of Yikra? Because this is the book of sacrifices. All the sacrifices are written in this book. And because the little children are pure, ad um, till now they're pure. And they don't even know the taste of sin. That's why Hashem says, They should begin first in the book of Karbonos. Let those that are pure come. The Yisasku and let them engage in the work of the pure. Lefikach, and the Medrash, here this is a, a statement that's mentioned here in Tanchum and not earlier. Lefikach animal aleim. That's why I consider it for these little children. Kiliam oimdim, as if they're the ones standing. Umakrivim lafanei hakarbonos, and they offer before me all these sacrifices. These little three-year-old kids that are learning the Chumash of Ayikra, it is upon them that it's considered as if they're the ones standing in front of God and offering sacrifices. And this comes to tell you, even though there's no temple, hopefully it's going to be rebuilt. 
still so we can do the sacrifice of the Korban Pesach in the Beis HaMikdash. Very, very this year, Be'ezus Hashem. But even though the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed, ve'en Korban Noheg, and now there is no Korban, there's no sacrifices. So, and we know that in the merit of the Korbanos, the world stands. B'schus HaKorbanos. As much as you know, people wonder, Mashiach comes, will we have Korbanos? Some people are uncomfortable with it. Okay, I understand why. The sensitivity of people are uncomfortable, but it doesn't, and, and therefore some people think that after Mashiach comes there won't be sacrifices. It's, it's not true. Uh, we have to be willing to accept that there are things infinitely bigger than our little minds. And if the Torah is so, so busy with Karbanos, it means that there's something very big about it. And it says that that actually keeps the, the worlds in existence. So it says, If not for the little children, If not for these children that read in the book of Karbanos, and primarily which children? The very, 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 very young ones who begin before they start learning any other Torah, before you start learning with Emberatius and other partials, which they learn a little later, just the, the first day of learning or so and so, they learn the Psukim of Ayikra. If not for these children learning in the book of Seder Kabbanas, the world would not stand. That's the statement of Tanchuma. Okay. So we need to understand a little bit, what does this mean? Let the children... What, 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 what does it mean? The, the Medrash is saying, let those that are pure. Now children are poor, pure. We, we said the Medrash itself explains what that means. They don't even know the taste of sin. It doesn't even relate to them. At such a young age, there is no sin at all. They're not obligated to mitzvahs at all. We're talking about children even before the age of chinuch. Before the age that you have to get them accustomed to certain mitzvahs and observance. Starts a little bit of a later age, five, six, whatever, as they're getting older, different mitzvahs, different ages of chinuch. We're talking much younger, they're, they're very, very, very small. And at that age, so they don't have, they have no relationship to any kind of a sin. It's not, it's not within their world. And so that's one thing. But the question is, what does it mean they should occupy themselves with that which is tahoyrin, with that which is pure? Why are the karbanos called pure? What is the purity? We, we name the karbanos pure. Tahorim, tahar. Why are the karbanos called tahorim? What's the relationship of sacrifices to tahara, to that which is pure? So there is a... There's two, Mephorshim give two explanations of why karbanos are called tahorim. One explanation is given um, by some, some, of the, some of the commentators on the Midrash. Um, the Eitz Yosef in Tanchuma and others, they say the reason why Karbanas are called Tahorin is because one of the obligations, one of the things we have to be careful when we offer sacrifices is it requires ritual purity. I, you, all of us, we can put on tefillin, we can do mitzvahs, we can hear the shofar and Rosh Hashanah, we can give tzedakah, we can study Torah when we're pure, ritually pure, when we're ritually not pure. Whether we're Tameh or Tahar, we can do all the mitzvahs. But one of the things we can't do unless we're Tahar is Karbanas. It requires going into the temple. And you cannot even go into the Beis Mingdash when one is Tameh. So the work of the Karbanas requires the offerer of the Karban, the person bringing it, to be Tahar. That's Soma Farshim. Explain, that's the meaning why Karbanas are called Tahorin, because it is done in, in a state of purity. 
another Pirish is given. And the Eitz Yosef, in his Pirish in, um, in, in um, Medrash Rabbah, his, his first Pirish I gave you is the Pirish that he says in Medrash Tanchuma. But as a Pirish in Medrash Rabbah, which we said again, these are two places in which the same idea is discussed. Over the year, his explanation is different. Not that the Karbanis are brought to in purity, but rather that it brings purity to those two people. In other words, because it, it erases sin. Sin is related to defilement. Any kind of sin is a spiritual defilement. Meaning, in addition to the concept of ritual impurity, we know that every kind of sin is a relationship with the kochos atuma, with powers of impurity, dark forces. What does a karban do? Most karbanis bring some kind of form of an atonement, some kind of a purification. The word kapara means cleansing. It cleanses, it purifies from tuma, from, impu- from, from this impurity, from, from the sin. So since it brings tahara, its objective is to bring tahara, to bring purity. That's why the karbonos are called tahorin. And that's why it means pu- the, the, pure, the pure element, because it purifies. And that's why children that are pure, at the very young age, should study karbonos, because it purifies. That's the Pirish. The Kliyakar this week in the parasha also says the same thing. But he adds something really beautiful. That's how he learns Tahirim. He brings over here Ubiyalkit. The, the Kliyakar is wondering why the word Vayikra has a little Aleph. Right? You, you, you right away notice this. The beginning of the book of Vayikra. Vayikra has a small little Aleph. The last letter of the word Vayikra, which is the first word in the Sefer Vayikra, is, is, is an Aleph. And the Aleph is a small Aleph. So he's wondering why it's a small Aleph. And he, so he brings Yalkut Shemoni. That's a third madrash that I don't have in front of me. Where over there it also brings the same idea. Why do the young children begin Parshas Akabonis? Just that like Karbonis are pure. Children are also pure. Okay. And, and he explains, so what does it mean the Karbonis are pure? So he brings a different Yalkut, which it says in Parshas Pinchas. On words which if we say karbanos before we daven, we say these words, but now you're going to have a new meaning in these words. It's always beautiful to have find new meaning so we can inspire our prayer, especially a part of davening that for most people is not as inspirational. And that is the karbanos part right at the beginning. So over there we say we should bring every day kvasim b'nei shana, sheep within one year old, within their first year. The, 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 the sacrifice that was brought every day the, the, the constant sacrifice, the Tamit sacrifice, were two sheep, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. So it says that the sheep have to be within a year old. So the, the, the um, Midrash plays on the words kevasim. And the, it takes the word keves, which is spelled with a shin, and reads it as if it was spelled with a samach. So, because they're both s, they're both the s sound. Sin, a sin, and a samach both have the same sound. So the medrash is changing the shin, the sin for a samach, and reading it like the word kibes. Kibes means it cleanses. Kvasim, and the medrash says that the sacrifices that they used to bring in the Beis Amigdash, the daily sacrifices, cleansed the Jewish people and made them like a one-day-year-old baby. It washed us to be so clean and so pure, like a one-day baby. It purifies the sins of a person. 
And it makes you like a one day year old baby. Imagine if we can go back to the innocence of the one day, of being one day old. Now, isn't that an inspiring thought? If every day when you daven shachris or mincha, you stop by that part and you think, because we're all carrying so much baggage and so much guilt and so much stuff. And it makes it so hard to daven because we feel like, Hashem probably doesn't have patience for me. Or like, come on, like him again, he's the sinner, he's done this, he's done. We all carry with us all that stuff. But if we just stop for a moment, you say, well, <laughs> that's what the carbonate came. And now that I'm saying carbonate, that's the point. It's right now, I just read this, and I return to the innocence of a little baby that has never had a sin, one day old. Now I can pray. It's a great thought. Any case, then he continues the Kliyakar, and he says, ketana. And for that reason, the Aleph of the word Vayikra is small, a mini Aleph. This is to teach you, that little children start here. A small Aleph and Vayikra is an indication, this is for the little guys. This, this book, here's where the little people study, right over here. So, it's very, because it's the only, I think, the only um, word, name of a book in the Torah that has a little letter. There are little letters throughout the Torah, but in Bereshah, Shmois, Vayikra, Bamid, Bodvarim, and all the other ones, you don't have a little letter. So this is like a flag summoning the little children and saying, here is where you start in Vayikra. Okay, but you see that again, how does he describe the purity of the karbonos, why are they called pure? Because it purifies people. So again, the two explanations why karbonos are pure, either because we have to do them in a state of purity, or, number two, they're pure because they purify. The problem with both these interpretations is that both these interpretations are referring to the people bringing the karbon, not to the karbon itself. The words, Yavayu Tahorim, let pure, pure ones come, which are talking to children that they themselves are pure. And they should busy themselves with that which is pure, seems to imply that the karbonais are pure. So what, is the, what does it mean that karbonais are pure? There's no laws of Tumah and Tahara regards to karbonos. Animals can't become ritually impure. There's no Tumah. You never have to take an animal to the mikveh and tovel it. There's no, the whole context of Tumah Tahara applies only by Adam, by a person, but not an animal. An animal that touches a dead body doesn't become defiled, uh, right? An animal that touches a dead uh, insect that imply Tumah doesn't become defiled. There's no, there's no context of Tahara. So what does it mean, Tahara? Okay, so, that, so that's why the Mepharshim say it's referring to the people who bring the karma. But that's not what it seems to be saying. Yavai tahorin v'yisasku b'tahorin, which is that which is pure. So we need to understand that. So um, do we find anywhere? So in regards to karbanos, there are certain criteria. One of the criteria of karbanos is they have to be complete without a blemish. Tamim is something that it says by karbanos. It has to be complete and so on and so forth. There are some other requirements. But again, a requirement of it being tahor, we don't find by karbanos. However, there is one exception. Where do we find the context of the word tahara, tahorin, pure, the pure things, by karbanos in one place? And that is by the karbanos of Noach. If you go back to the book of Noach, 
It discusses over there the various different animals that Noah brought into the Teva, brought into the ark. And it says, God is instructing him, and says, from all animals you should take one couple, from every species of animal, one couple, a man and a woman, male and female, from all the animals, all birds, all creatures. But from those that are tahor, you should take seven, seven males and seven females, seven couples. And the reason Rashi says for that is, Noah derived from this, now why should he take from the pure ones seven? He should take seven because when he came out of the teva, he's going to offer sacrifices. So he needs one couple to repopulate the world with that species. Okay? One couple was enough. You see, the, where the world always is worried so much about species going extinct. So it's interesting. Noah was living in a time when everything was going extinct. And God told him, don't worry, one couple is enough. As long as we have one male and female, we're okay. We can re- rebuild the world from them. But Noah realized, but from these animals, he's taking more. Why do you need extra? So it wasn't like a worry, maybe one will die, maybe that. If God's telling him you're doing it, it'll be fine. So it's because he should bring karbanas. And there, the way the Torah refers to the, the animals, is that, now really when we say the animals that are pure or the animals that are not pure, we are referring to the, those that animals that are kosher and non-kosher. Kosher to eat. Kosher animals, he brought seven. Non-kosher animals, he brought, I mean, altogether 14, seven males, seven females. Non-kosher animals, he brought only one, one male and one female. But it's interesting, the Torah doesn't refer to them as kosher, non-kosher, the Torah refers to them as pure. Like the Torah refers to all kosher, all the laws of kashrus in the Torah, is the Torah is telling you what is tahar, what is not tahar, in this sense, it means kosher or not kosher. But particularly it's emphasized by Noah. From that which is not pure. So that's the only place in where you find the context of pure in regards to sacrifices. Everywhere else in the Torah, there is no requirement or criteria or something to say that there is a pure, the word pure related to karbonos. Only to Noah's sacrifices. And actually, to broaden that a little bit, it really reflects on all the karbonos before the Torah was given. Meaning to say that we have two categories of sacrifices. We have pre-Torah sacrifices and post-Torah sacrifices. The the nature of the sacrifices changed before the Torah was given as after. In other words, sacrifices is did not begin with the giving of the Torah. Sacrifices is an ancient tradition that goes all the way, all the way back to Adam and Eve, to Adam. Adam was the first one to offer karbonos. Adam offered karbonos, and then his children, Cain and Hevel, offered karbonos. And then Noah offered karbonos. So there was a custom, there was an offering, and Avram, and and, and, and built a mezbeach and offered sacrifice, so on and so forth. So karbonus was something that was done throughout before the giving of the Torah as well. Yet, the criteria of karbonus before Matan Torah and after Matan Torah changed. 
See, after Matan Torah, God became very selective of which animals are kosher for carbon. Not all edible animals you can offer as sacrifices. Sacrifices are particular species that are offered, that, need, that can be offered. You got the cattle, larger cattle, which is um, uh, cows, and you have sheep, goats, rams. That's about it. And then birds. But there's no other animals. But there's a lot of other kosher animals. A deer, for instance, is a kosher animal. But you can't bring it for a sacrifice. Buffalo is a kosher animal. It's not, can't bring it as a sacrifice. I think a giraffe is a kosher animal. But it cannot be offered as a sacrifice. In other words, after the giving of the Torah, God limited the offering of karbonos to specific animals. So it has nothing to do with the concept of tahar or enoy tahar, pure or, or, or non-pure. Because there's a lot of animals that are pure, but yet they can't be offered as sacrifices. Where do we find that sacrifices belong to the pure realm? And again, that the sacrifices themselves has the label of pure, not the people that are bringing them, but the sacrifices themselves have a label of pure. This is on the pre-Torah sacrifices. Where do we find that? That's a statement in the Talmud. The Gemara says in Meseches Zvachim, where it deals with sacrifices, Daf Kuf Tesvav, page 115, Ahmed Bey is the second side of the page. It says over here, interesting Gemara, hold on, just give me a second to find it. Um, the Tanya we learned, Atshaloi Hukam Mishkan before the Mishkan was put up, erected, which was done right after the Torah was given. Habamais Muteres, people were allowed to have private altars. You didn't have to come to the, lo, to the, to the communal Mizbeach. Um, Everybody, you can make an altar in your backyard. And the service was done not through Kohanim. The service was done by the firstborn, by the Bechoros. And everybody or every and you and you can and you can bring everything for a sacrifice. What's included and what could be brought? Behema, domestic animals, generals behema, chaya, wild animals, like deer, buffalo, or things like that. Vaof and bird, zcharim, males, unekevis and females, tmimim, whether they're complete without a blemish, balimumin. The requirement that they have to be complete without a blemish is only after the Torah was given. Before the Torah was given, you can bring a defected animal with a, with a blemish. However, here was one rule. The Gemara says in Masech Shabbos. Tahoirin, those that are kosher. Again, tahoirin, the literal meaning of the word tahoirin means those that are pure. But pure in the context of animals means those that are kosher. Avaloi tameim, but not non-kosher animals. But again, after the Torah was given, that's not anymore a, that's, that, that is not applicable anymore to Karbonos because Karbonos was then limited to specific types of animals. So why don't we, within the kosher itself, there's only a few of them that you can bring as a Karbon. But what does that tell you? That before the giving of the Torah, the, 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 the sacrifices before the Torah were given were... The pure ones. Oh, so now already we find something interesting. Because what will this tell us? 
This will all tell us that now when we say the children should occupy themselves with that which is pure, it could be relating to the karbanos themselves, but which karbanos, which sacrifices, the sacrifices of the pre-giving of the Torah, pre-matan Torah, those sacrifices, they have a, a, a gather, they have a context of pure, of tahorim. Now, and what would be, and it would make a lot of sense because think about it. Children are living in the pre Torah state as well. Because in their own individual lives, it's only when they become bar and bas mitzvah do they kind of arrive at Sinai and receive the Torah. They're obligated in the Torah only. So, since we're talking about children, the studying of children, and children are in a pre Torah state. Therefore, we can derive, we relate their study to which karbonos, not the karbonos that are post-Matan Torah, because again, after the Torah was given, there is no context in regards to our karbon, there's no criteria of kosher and not kosher, pure and not pure. It doesn't exist. It only exists in the karbonos before Matan Torah, before the Torah was given. But it's, it fits very well with the children, because children are also in their pre-Torah state, because they haven't reached their bar So it matches. Everything is very good. And we can say that's what it means they should occupy themselves with Torah. The problem with that is, just a simple question, we're telling the children to learn what? Are they learning Parshas Noach? About Noach's sacrifices? What are children learning? Children are not learning the pre-Torah sacrifices. Children are learning Parshas Vayikra, which Parshas Vayikra gives us the instructions of sacrifices after the Torah was given. Our Torah-regulated sacrifice. If we're going to say that the whole reason and the relationship of children to studying, and this that the Medrash is calling it Tahorim. And where do we find Tahorim? It's only in the Karbanas that's pre-Torah. And it fits that it's connected to children because children are also in a pre-Torah state, but then they should be studying Karbanas that's before the giving of the Torah. Since they are studying the karbonos after the giving of the Torah, it doesn't... So why are we referring to it as tahorin when we don't find any, any, any element of purity in regards to animals after the giving of the Torah? So to understand this better, let's ask one more question. We mentioned earlier from the Medrash Tanchoma that the Medrash concludes about how powerful that study of those children are. When the children study... It's in today's days when there's no temple and there's no sacrifices. It's the study of these very small children that keep the world in existence. You can go see the little children that are coming out of school and literally thank them because our lives, we're indebted to them for another day of life because of these little children who have kept the world alive. Fine. But if we continue that very same Midrash Tanchuma, the Midrash itself seems to contradict itself. Because the Medrash continues, right after it says about the little children, and it says, Lefikach, you hear this? After it finished, it's, Ilule tinoko shekoyrim beseder akarbonis. If not for children who read in the book of Karbonis, Loihoya oilam oime, the world would not stand. Lefikach amar akadish baruchuli Yisrael, therefore, Hashem says to the Jewish people, Bonai, my children, Afal pishachar av beis amigdosh. Even though the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, ubatlu akarbanos and the karbanos were nullified. The ain carbon oil and noheg, and there's no sacrifice of an ola. We don't have any more a, a burnt offering. Im atem oiskim. 
If all of you, im atem, if all of you, oskim, or occupy themselves, gekoyerim b'parshas ola, and you read the parsha of ola like we've been doing this week, because it's parshas vayikra, v'shoyinim b'parshas karbonos, and we study the laws of karbonos, malani aleichem, I consider it upon you, ki'ilu atem akrivim karban oila lefonai, like you're offering sacrifice before me, shenema v'zois toiris ha'oila, meaning, whoever is learning the Torah of the ola, he merits the world to come. Okay, but what doesn't make any sense is like this. We're talking about a time when there's no temple. And as a result of that, we feel that the nuts and the bolts that keep the world in place are not present because we don't have karbana. So what do we do? So the Medrash tells us, leave it up to the little children. Leave it up to the little, little kids. They're the ones who are going to study and they're going to keep the world in existence. But then... But then the Medrash continues, because, they, because they're the ones who, who, who offer the karbam when they study it. But then the Medrash continues that every person should study and learn, and it's as if we're offering karbanas. If it's offering karbanas, so then why can't our reading and studying of it, if it's considered as if we're offering it, so let it be the power that keeps the world in existence. Again, the problem is the absence of karbanas. So today's days we know we do it with our mouths. Unishalma parim sfasenu. With our lips, we will complete the service that is supposed to be done with oxen. We will do it with our lips. So today, we so if, if all of us can offer karbanos by studying it, so why don't we make a whole to-do of the children, and if not for the children, the world would not stand. This seems to tell us that even though to some degree we can offer sacrifices, we can offer sacrifices today as well by us studying it, but the real power of sacrifices is only when those little children read those psukim and vayikra. Not when we do it. When we do it, it's somewhat okay, somewhat related, but it's not the same thing. It's those little children doing it. Oh, that's it. Why? So we'll understand this related to what we have been talking before. There is a special connection between those little children to karbanos particularly to the pre-Torah karbanos. And we are going to demonstrate today that the essence of sacrifices was more present and revealed in the sacrifices that are done before the giving of the Torah than after the giving of the Torah. Now, the truest and most powerful impact of sacrifices was in a revealed way in Noah's sacrifices. More than the sacrifices that happened later. And it's a big chiddush, a big novelty, because we are always thundering from this, from over here in these classes, that the, that the mitzvahs after the giving of the Torah are much greater than the mitzvahs that were before the giving of the Torah. And there, we're talking about not Noah, we're talking about Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, who we know generally they're much greater heroes to us than Noah. Noah is he's okay, he gets sometimes good press, not such good press. He's a tzaddik, we're a little confused about him. He's not particularly the father of the Jewish people. He remains shrouded in mystery, Noah. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, well, these are the giants. And yet we have like kind of the chutzpah to say that their service and mitzvahs that they were doing, it doesn't compare in any way to the mitzvahs after the giving of the Torah. And here we're talking about, not about Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, super giants. We're talking about Noah. And we're saying that in a certain sense, his karbanos reflected the power of karban more than anybody. And what did his karban, kar, and that's why it's related to the children, and what did his karbanos 
reflect the idea of tahara, of purity of korban. Which that, con- that, that element kind of faded away once the Torah was given. Now what I'm saying is, not that after the giving of the Torah, there's anything lacking in our sacrifices. Our sacrifices are just as powerful like the pre-Torah sacrifices. But there is something very essential and deep about sacrifices that is more revealed in those sacrifices than in our sacrifices. So what is it? In other words, even though it's present by us as well, but by us it's covered up more. It's more concealed. You don't, you don't see it. And other, because our sacrifices have other qualities that cover up on this essential quality. Noah's karbonos, the pre-Torah karbonos, precisely because they're lacking the other qualities, the, the real power of karbon is not blocked. You're not being distracted when you're looking at it. There's nothing distracting you from seeing the essence. So you hear what's going on? In our karbonos after the giving of the Torah, we have so many things that when we look at it, we get caught up in certain externalities. Powerful externalities, wonderful things, but those very qualities are blocking us from seeing the true light, the true essence of the sacrifice. Noah, because his sacrifice lacked the embellishment that the Torah gave to sacrifices, you got to see the sacrifice in its full purity. Okay? That's a little outline of what we're going to talk about. So what is that? So what is the idea? What is the idea about this? So here's an interesting thing. In regards to Noah, we say that he offered a whole bunch of karbonos and sacrifices. And his sacrifices, again, were from kosher animals and not from... See, we think that Noah only offered sheep. He offered sheep, goats, buffalo, giraffes. You have to say that. Because it says every species that is kosher... He got seven of each. So he did not follow the, 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 the laws of Ayikra. He had a whole different manual for karbonos. Okay, his manual was, any kosher animal, I will offer as sacrifices. So he offered deer, and so on and so forth. All, from every kosher. Okay? Which after the giving of the Torah, it's forbidden. But by that time, it was, it was okay. okay. Now, the question, however, is, how did Noah know What's kosher and what's non-kosher? So Rashi says, and that's what that, the Gemara actually asked the question. The Gemara says, before the Torah is given, what do we, the Mishnah says, again, the Brai the, 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 the that we brought earlier says, that you can bring any types of animals, you can bring, uh, you can bring male, female, this, uh, every type, however one thing before the given, it has to be kosher. But before the Torah was given, who knows the laws of kosher? The laws of kosher weren't given yet. And the answer is, Rashi says already, that Noah learned Torah. And Noah knew beforehand what's going to be kosher later. But the question over here is, so here you see a little paradox. What do we see a paradox? Noah did not, is not a shomer Torah and mitzvahs. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov was, a shomer, was observant. We're observant. Our forefathers, the Torah, tell us, kept the mitzvahs. We don't find anywhere that the sages say that Noah kept the Torah. 
The reason is because Noach is still pre-pre-Matan Torah. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov were a practice run. They were pre-giving of the Torah. They were the preparation for the Torah. So they had to start observing it. We know, as we mentioned earlier, their, their mitzvah was not as powerful as the mitzvah after the giving of the Torah, but their mitzvah was an introduction to Matan Torah. Noach is still pre-pre-Matan Torah. So therefore, he's not observing mitzvahs. How about kosher? Is Noach keeping kosher? No. Noach very, 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 very likely and very, very, very possibly had a barbecue in which they had pork chops. Perfectly fine. No prohibition. It doesn't say anywhere different. He had no reason why not to. He has seven Noahide laws. He's not allowed to eat from a living animal. Eber Menachai, so on and so forth. These are things that were, these, these are the laws that were given to him. Quite on the contrary. He, to he was the first person God permitted him, permitted, permitted him to eat meat. Till then everybody was vegetarian. Noah, he could have tried everything. He had, how does he figure out what's good meat? He probably had to figure out, take every animal and check it out. See which meats are good and which, he is allowed to. He can eat crab and lobster if he wanted. No prohibition on Noah. Doesn't say anywhere that he did any different. Yet, even though there is no prohibition, yet the concept of kosher he knew. Why? Because in regards to his karbanos, which karbans did he bring? Which sacrifices did he bring? Only the kosher and not the non-kosher. So we see Noah is not observant, yet he's living in the world where the principles of Torah exist already, even though the practice of Torah doesn't exist. I'll repeat that again so you get that clear. It's a very important point. Noah is living his life or his conduct was one in which the principles of Torah exist but not the practice of it. He's not practicing it. But the concept of what is kosher and not kosher is there already. How about before Noah? By Adam it doesn't say any, anything about kosher. And there, you don't even have principles of Torah yet. By Noah you have principles of Torah. Now, were those principles of Torah in regards to other things or only in regards to kosher? Well, we don't have any indication that any other principle of any other mitzvah existed in Noah's days. So the only mitzvah in which we find that the principle, not the observance of it, but the principle of it existed was the concept of kosher. Kosher animal versus non-kosher animal. And in regards to karbonos. Not in regards to eating, because again, in regards to that he didn't even, it, it, it existed, but he didn't, he didn't apply it. He applied it to sacrifices. So why is that? So that's an interesting idea. So why is that? So you see from here that in some way Noah is connected to Torah already. Usually we say that the, the, the two, because the sages say really an interesting idea. The sages say that the world can be divided into three parts. Three, time can be divided into three segments. 2,000 years of chaos, 2,000 years of Torah, 2,000 years the days of Mashiach. So Noah, he belongs to the 2,000 years of chaos. And, and, and the truth is, in his life was the most chaos. The, 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 the flood came. Total destruction. So Noah, is, he's in the world of, of, of Torah. Where does the 2,000 years of Torah begin? With Avram Avinu. So that's where the beginning of Matan Torah, the influence, the winds of the Torah are already blowing, even though we're not keeping it yet. It takes a few hundred years 
until the Jewish people receive the Torah at Har Sinai, then the actual Torah comes, and then we come to the 2,000 years in which we're, the world is entering or preparing itself already for the great light of Moshiach. So Noach is still pre-Torah. Yet, for whatever reason, Noach has already a connection to Torah because again, the principles of Torah exist for him in regards to which area? In regards to Karbonos. So let's understand what is that. Why is Noach related to Torah? And when Noach is related to Torah, primarily to one aspect of Torah, to the Karbonos element of Torah. So let's understand why. So the idea is as follows. When we think about Karbonos, obviously, the first, first very important question is, I said earlier that a lot of people are uncomfortable with the idea of slaughtering an animal for atonement for a person, and I'm not going to address that tonight. But I am asking the question, isn't it strange that the main, the main manner in which God has enabled us to attach ourselves to Him is through sacrifices? It's a little strange. Meaning, we know that the world stands on three things. One of them is Torah, which is Torah study. The other one is doing mitzvahs, kindness, mitzvahs, chesed, gemilas, chasadim, which really includes all the, all the observance of all the mitzvahs. And the other one is called avoda. We're going to start saying Pirkei Ava soon after Pesach. The world stands on three things. Allah Torah, Torah, Torah study. Avoda. What does the avoda, avoda mean? Worship. So we know what is worship. Worship is the person is actually worshiping his creator, which means he's coming closer to his creator. Out of all three elements that we serve God, which is the one that brings us the closest to Him? What's called worship? What's called actually serving our Creator? Avoda. And what is Avoda? What is Avoda? Avoda today's days is prayer. But prayer is only a substitute of what? Of Karbanos. That means that the real, the real worship and coming close to God is through Karbanos. Isn't that strange? Think about it. A korban doesn't seem to have any type of spiritual quality to it at all. Now we did, in our classes over here, already discuss the mystical side of karbanos. And the secrets that are, that, that are related to karbanos are unbelievable. And without any shadow of a doubt, when a Jew brought a korban, especially if it was someone that had a little bit of a knowledge and a little bit of understanding, he went and experienced an unbelievable spiritual uplifting connection to God. It was much more than, than, than slaughtering an animal and spilling its blood and sprinkling blood and burning fat on the, on the altar. There was a deep spiritual service that went along. As he brought a physical sacrifice, he was spiritually, um, psychologically sacrificing himself along with this karma. That's without a shadow of a doubt, but all of that is not visible to the eye. If I'm looking externally, someone is coming to the temple, taking a cow, killing the cow in the temple, and sprinkling blood. It's extremely, extremely physical. 
And you don't have to be in any way a refined human being or a spiritual person to do that. Anybody can do that, Jew and non-Jew. And as we said earlier, non-Jews can also offer sacrifices. Not only can they offer sacrifices, they would offer sacrifices. They're permitted to come to the base of Mikdash, or they had certain restrictions of how far they can enter, they can offer sacrifices. Today's days, Jews are not allowed to offer sacrifices, and non-Jews are allowed to offer a sacrifice. So the idea of the sacrifices doesn't in any way bring forth the quality of the Jew of our... So why did God make that the primary connection to Him should be through something in which doesn't seem to have any kind of spiritual quality to it? Externally, see, when someone is praying, you look at someone praying, you can see, you, you notice the, spiritual, the spirituality in it, uh, if someone is a little bit into the prayer. But sacrifices is not, it's, it's a very physical action. Why is that the means of what the Eberster has chosen. And the answer to all of that is a very, very deep idea. A very, very important idea. And that is that even though sacrifices are a mitzvah, and sacrifices are part of the Torah, but however in truth, they relate to something much deeper than Torah and mitzvahs. Their effect, that we see the, the impact, the, the influence, the the accomplishment of that which the, the sacrifice accomplishes is something higher than the Torah. And that's an indication that in essence it's beyond all of Torah and beyond all of mitzvahs. How do we see that sacrifices are above the Torah? Simply. Sacrifices come to atone for a blemish, for a deficiency in Torah and mitzvahs. You can't atone for something or fix something unless you're higher of that which is broken. The fact that sacrifices can repair the Torah and the mitzvahs is an indication that sacrifices, whatever, for whatever reason we'll soon see, are above the rest of the Torah and above the mitzvahs. And for that reason, it can fix that where a mitzvah is broken. If there is some kind of a tear, if there is some kind of a fissure, or even a complete tear, or a severance in the relationship that a Jew has with God in his observance of Torah and mitzvahs, sacrifices come and repair it. The question over here is, however, why? What is it? And the answer is that sacrifices really reveal what they're really meant to do is when a person brings a sacrifice, Adam Kiyakriv, the person is coming close, He's being elevated deep, deep, deep to a very high place. And something emerges. What emerges is the essential bond that God has with His, with his people, with the Jewish people. One that transcends the do's and the don'ts of our life. The, the actions, our thoughts, our speech. One that transcends even our entire consciousness and awareness. A Jew is connected to God because he is connected. Hashem has, is one with the Jewish people. Yes, last week we spoke how we are the other half of God, the twin of Hashem. We have an essential oneness with God, and it's unrelated, and this is the idea that God refers to the Jewish people. Last week we spoke about marriage, but it replies, Hashem refers to the Jewish people, Bane, you're my children. A child and a parent have an essential bond, unrelated to a child offer, um, serving his or her mother tea or coffee, or being nice, or taking care, or fulfilling the mitzvah of 
all that enhances, embellishes, beautifies, expresses, uh, all that true, the relationship of parent and child, but it does not create it. And since it does not create it, the bond is not broken by the lack of that. Each and every one of us is connected to Hashem because that's just the way it is. Yisrael afapi shechata, a Jew, even though he sins, Yisrael is a Jew. That is at the core of our relationship with Hashem. Now, as we, our neshamas, that are essentially connected to God, with or without Torah and mitzvahs, emerge into this reality that we live in, into bodies, into the physical earth, over here, we become as if something other than God, entities, beings that are, that are creations, and therefore infinitely separated from their creator, from God. Over here, we require, Hashem gave us Torah and mitzvahs. Through the Torah and mitzvahs, we forge a bond with Him. So it's not like Torah and mitzvahs is nothing. No, 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 no. In our realm down here, that's the way in which you connect Hashem. You connect your brain to Hashem through studying His Torah. You connect your emotions to Hashem by following in God's ways. He's compassionate, you be compassionate. God is kind, you be kind, and the like. You connect yourself to Hashem with your hands, with the limbs of your body, through doing the 613 mitzvahs, which each one corresponds to the limbs or to the 248 blood vessels. That's the way you connect Hashem. And that is 100% real. And we need that. There's no other way. However, God forbid if we messed up, and we didn't do it right, and we cause some kind of a disconnect in our bond with God and Torah mitzvahs. We've lost it. God forbid, we're off. Caputo, done, delete. We're now separated, we're off. Chas v'shalem. You had your chance, you had free choice. You choose to, 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 to mess it up, finished. Oh, no, 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 no. Then we have no choice. Then we have to transcend and go very, very deep. We have to go very, very, very high and discover the place where we are one with God, not because of our commandments that we fulfill, not because we do His wishes and His will. It's just, we are just one with Him. That is revealed generally through tshuva. Tshuva reveals that essential essence. But it's not only tshuva, it's also karbonos. Karbonos and tshuva are both in the same Realm, even though they are slightly different, but that's not the nature of tonight's class. But the, both of them bring forth, highlight, uncover the under the true relationship that Jew has with God, and the relationship a Jew has with God is just because, not because of anything we do, think, speak, feel, believe, not even have to do with our faith. It just is. So therefore the Jew can be doing everything in his life anti-God, anti-holiness. It still does not change the fact at the core of his neshama, he is a Jew and he is connected. He or she is connected. That does not change. Problem is it's not revealed in their external life. In their external life you have to do the Torah mitzvahs to reveal it. However, if chas v'shalom there is a blemish, we, 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 we bring the carbon. the carbon brings us higher and higher to a place where we uncover our essential bond. Now we'll understand back the question that I asked, that we came about earlier, and we asked how come God gave us karbonos that do not reflect anything spiritual in us? That's the whole point. If God would base our, what's, what's avoda? Avoda means the main avenue in which you come close to me. If the main avenue in which we come close to God would be as a result of our Torah study, our learning, or our deep emotional bonding that comes through deep meditative prayer, 
that itself would be saying that your relationship is based on your feelings, how you feel. I'm loved. I'm dominating, and I feel such light. I feel such. I feel such elevation. I feel such love. I feel such connection. Oh, that's why you're connected. So there would be an ex- something that would say that the reason we are connected is because you're such a spiritual person, because you're so refined, because you're so knowledgeable, because you're so godlike. God wants to say, "Oh no, 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 no! It's not about that." There is something much deeper than anything you can do, say, or think, or feel. It's because I choose. God says, "I choose." I choose you, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you as a Jew. As Yaakov Ahafti, Jacob I love, that's Esav Sanesi, and Esav I hate. And it's completely super rational, it's beyond all explanation. It just is. And that's why I'm going to give you something to do, in which the Jew and the Gentile can do the exact thing, same thing. It's not something, see generally there's a certain... Again, we know, the Jewish people have a certain refinement in many ways. Jews are, you look in the world, you see, Jews are generally of a, of a pretty uh, high up in the, in the um, how is it called, uh, in the IQ realms. Well, Jews are, are generally considered as a smart people, as a knowledgeable people. And the Torah says about a certain other qualities. Uh, Rahmanim, we're compassionate, we're giving, we're kind, we have certain qualities. If our main connection to Hashem would be based on qualities, then they could be based on a reason that our connection to God is not essential. Our connection to God is because of this and because of that. That if you find a Jew whose very identity contradicts these Jewish features, all these Jewish elements, then this person has no relationship with Hashem. So Hashem says, no, 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 no. It's not going to be based on all these things. It's going to be based on shechting an animal. Don't do anything. Just kill Take an animal, shech that animal, and guess what? Your, your, your neighbor or whatever can do the exact same thing. But his carbon does not touch me, and your carbon does, because with you I have an essential bond. That's what carbonates are. This explains something very deep. That's the reason why carbonates are all in something, again, our main medium of connection is one of the essence. The rest is all the embellishment. It's all beautiful. And it connects us on all the various different levels of our soul. We, 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 we communicate with God in all features and all aspects. But that's all surrounding the core relationship, which is above anything. It's just... So we will have to... In other words, similar to the idea, I'm just going to give a certain reference. That you'll be able to reference this. We've spoken many times that the choice, we say that God chose the Jewish people, is more in the Jewish body than in the Jewish soul. Because the Jewish soul is essentially much higher than the, than the non-Jewish soul. These are souls of holiness from a very high place. The non-Jewish soul doesn't have the same quality of the Jewish soul. So you don't really see the relationship based on God's choosing. Because you can say God loves us because of the shining, brilliant soul that we have. We want to emphasize that God loves us something unrelated to anything about us just because so He wants. It's His essence, so He wants. That's the Jewish body, because the Jewish body is exactly the same like the non-Jewish body. At least externally, it looks the same. And yet, God says, this is a Jewish body, this hand puts on tefillin, it will have such an impact. This, this mouth is going to chew matzah, it's going to turn over the cosmos while he's doing it. This mouth is going to do the exact same thing, it's not going to accomplish anything. Just the way it is. 
Because the mitzvahs only work with the Jewish body because God chose the Jewish body. Why emphasizing it in the Jewish body? Because in the Jewish body, precisely because it doesn't have any qualities, that itself brings forth that it's all about God's choice, not about the quality. And similar to that is the idea of karma and the fact that they're so physical. Dafka of physical action is what's so powerful and what's so strong. Now we'll understand why Noah has a relationship to this. Let's do this very quickly. Why does Noah have a relationship to this? Because even though Noah wasn't really Jewish, Judaism begins with Avram, he's considered our first Jewish father, but Noah possessed a Jewish soul. At its core, Noah, even, and even though the rest of humanity stems from Noah, Noah is considered in his very deep inner, inner, inner sense, self, spiritually at least. Now, I'm not going through halachically, but spiritually, he has the Jewish neshama. Where do we find that? Rosh Hashanah by davening, when we want to evoke the met, God says, blow shofar for me, and then say before me ten psukim of remembrance. Say before me ten psukim, ten verses of remembrance, so that your memory should come before me. I should remember you for good. I should remember you for good. Whose remembrance? It's something special with the Jewish people. We know in Rosh Hashanah we want to evoke the deep bond that God has with Israel. Do you know that the first verse we say, the first pasuk of Zichronos to remember the Jewish people, is we say a pasuk, V'gam es Noach, and also Noach, Bahava Zacharta, with, with love you remembered him, by the Mabel. Shanemar, as it says in the pasuk, Vayiskor Elokim es Noach. God remembered Noach, and everybody that's with him in the, in the ark, and he passed the wind over the world and the waters calmed down. In Hasidus it asks the question, what is Noah doing over here? We're talking about the evoking the power of the Jewish neshama. How deep it is rooted in God. Why your memory of Noah? Noah is the father of the rest of us. Nothing to do with Judaism, with the Jewish neshamas. And the answer is, so it says in Hasidus, that when God remembered Noah, what did he remember at that point? That he chose not to destroy his world? He remembers his essential bond that he has with the Jewish souls. That comes before him. And Noah's neshama is that soul of Israel. In its and, and again, it wasn't based on any merit. It wasn't based on any merit whatsoever. It was purely the essence of the relationship. God says, humanity has hope. Because I have within humanity my, 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 my child, the Jewish people. And I love them not because of any merit, because the world has no merit. There is no merit. I just love them because I love them. That was the memory that Hashem remembered when He remembered Noah. So when Noah came out and he offered sacrifices, and, because, and why did he offer the sacrifices? Because God saved him from the Mabel, from the flood. That was, it was a thank you. It was a karban toda. It was a karban of thanks where Noah is thinking, he is responding to that essential love. And what is he offering? Sacrifices. What do sacrifices reveal? What did we say earlier? Sacrifices reveal the essential bond between Israel and, 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 and God. And that was present already in Noah's sacrifices. And in a sense, here's, here's the main, main clincher of tonight's talk, that in a sense, it's more revealed in Noah's sacrifices than in, this, in the sacrifices that happened later. Why? Because later, once the Torah is given, sacrifices become a mitzvah. And they become one of our Jewish obligations like everything else we're obligated in. 
We're obligated to say the Shema. We're obligated to tithe our, our things. We're obligated to keep kosher. We're obligated to live a, a, a holy family life. We're obligated to keep the laws of purity and impurity. We're we have so much. And one of the laws that we have is karbonos, sacrifices. So in that sense, sacrifices seem to be a mitzvah like other mitzvahs. One of the duties of the Jew, not the essence of the Jew. Once sacrifices become a mitzvah, the mitzvah element of the sacrifice covers and obscures the real core of a sacrifice. That sacrifices are not about mitzvah. Sacrifices is, it's, it's, it's bringing the Jew close, revealing the essential bond with Jew and, from Jew and Hashem. From the Yidin, from, from the Yidin to Tashem, their essential connection. So that that element was more on display in the pre-Torah sacrifices than in the after-Torah sacrifices, because the after the Torah we have something concealing on it. So the purest idea of sacrifices is Noah sacrifices. We have it in our sacrifices as well, but there is a, there is something blocking that idea. Now we'll understand the relationship of Noah's sacrifices to little children. Just like, is an amazing idea, just like in the, in the way Torah emerges, we have three stages in Torah. We have Noah, who is related to the principles of Torah, but not to the practice of Torah. Then we have Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, that have a practice, they practice Torah, but in the real meaning of the word practice, meaning not observing it to the true meaning of it, they're just practicing for the giving of the Torah. Meaning, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov were actually already observing Torah as a preparation for aftermath in Torah. And what's the third state of, what's the third stage? Third stage is actually the giving of the Torah. When the Torah was given, we actually perform, learn Torah and do mitzvahs in a way that we're commanded to. Okay, so we have the commanded observance, we have the non-commanded observance, and then we have already the relationship to the concept of Torah, even though it's not yet in a, it's not even practice yet. In Jewish, in each and every one of our lives, we go through these three stages. Once you hit bar and bar mitzvah, you're already in the relationship to God based on what? Based on, the, on how well you perform. God has already expectations of you once you hit bar and bas mitzvah. You do right, you're connected. You do wrong, you're not connected. You just, you just severed yourself from Hashem. Oh, you out. You better go do tshuva. You better, I don't know what's going to be. That's, that's after you reach bar and bas mitzvah. Before bar and bas mitzvah, before you age, reach the age of 12 or 13, you have the avodah of the avos. What's the avodah of the avos? You have practice for Torah and mitzvah. That's the age of chinuch, the age of education. Parents have an obligation to educate the children. And we, our children don't start keeping mitzvahs when they're 12 or 13. We start already much younger. Kids participate in the Seder. Kids do this. Kids do that. You keep Shabbos when you're much younger. That's the era of the Ovos. But then there is a Noach era in all, all of our lives where you only have one thing. You have the pure neshama of a Jew without any embellishment. Noach is the pure Jewish neshama without any embellishment. He's not even beginning to practice Torah mitzvahs. It's just the fact that he's Jewish. And when is that? When, when a child is not even at the age of practicing Torah mitzvahs. Before the age of chinuch. Before the age of chinuch, you have no relationship to any observance. But do you have a connection to the Torah? Of course you have a connection to the Torah. The entire Torah is yours because you're a Jew. 
the entire Torah. You, you can't absorb it. You're not even intellectually, uh, you're not yet mentally and emotionally developed to have any whatsoever, even doing a practice run on Torah. And says, you can't do anything. But the whole Torah belongs to you because the Torah is godly and you and Hashem have an essential bond. Torah tziva lanu Moshe Rasha kihilas Yaakov. The Torah is given to every single Jew as a, as a Yerusha, as an inheritance. When a child is a little baby, one day old, the to- entire Torah belongs to him and to her. Why? But on an essential level of essence. Another thing, it could be reflected in this idea that we have a connection to the Torah before we even begin chinuch could be connected to one halacha. Halacha is that even a child that has not reached the age of chinuch, well, you don't have to educate him for anything. If he wants to eat non-kosher, he's allowed to do it, he or she. You don't have to stop them. But the halacha is you're now allowed to feed them with your own hands something that's not kosher. That idea reflects this idea that you can't... Because they have a connection to the Torah even though they're so young. Oh, you're saying Yiddish pitzalach. Little tiny little children. You can't go and give them something treif. Because they're already connected. Not only that. There is something about the three-year-old boy or girl that is so much deeper than everything else. Because once you get older, we measure you based on your observance. This is a good Jew. This is not such a good Jew. Ooh, this is a holy rabbi. Ooh, this is a tzaddik. Eh, not so, whatever. All these things only happen later in a person's life. When your little child, even before, and, that, and even in the age of chinuch, kids are going to school, so you know. <laughs> there are the kids that are like, super good, the teachers are always raving about this child. You should see him daven, you should see him learn, he's doing so well, a tzaddikal, a this, a that. Oh, so you know, okay, this, let's hope, let's hope, nothing, no one's going to ruin them, and Baruch Hashem, they're going to be doing well. Then you have the kids that are, that are uh, whatever, they're a handful. And the, and, and, and the people are, the, and the, chair, the parents are going crazy. Right? That's, so you see already, even though it's not yet, things don't really count, but you see the Torah and Mitzvah element are already defining, defining a good boy and a bad boy, a good girl and a not such good girl. Fine. Might be in concept, but in reality, but that's somehow the way things form. But then there is that younger, younger pre-1A age. First grade, over there, there's no good boy. Bad. It's unrelated to anything. Every kid is a Jewish kid and you see all the Jewish light in their essence just because of who they are. That is why these little children, even before the age of Chinuch, start learning the book of Ayikra. And what are we referring to? We refer to the Karbanis Tahar. And remember, the real purity of Torah, the real purity of Karbanos, what does it mean, the purity? What does it mean the animal is pure? We said before that's related to the karbonos of pre-Torah. And what is the quality of the karbonos of the sacrifices of pre-Torah? Is that the essence of sacrifice is shining in them. That what? That we're dealing with a bond that's unbreakable, a place that's untarnishable, a place that's always pure. That's the real meaning of Torah. Torah means that no Tumah in the world can reach this place. A place where every Jew, no matter what they've done, nothing can contaminate the sacred bond that's there. Karban uncovers the sacredness, this deep one holiness where there isn't the possibility of a blemish. Just like we said earlier, what's so special about little children? What, is the, what does the Medrash say? They don't, it's not that they, they happen to be that they didn't sin. They're not, they don't even know the taste of sin. The whole concept of sin doesn't exist at that age. They're pure, essentially pure. All karbanis are exactly that. Karbanis are uncovering the child. 
a little child in each and every one of us. The, the, carbon, the carbon goes, as we said earlier, and rewinds you to you being three years old, where, you're, where God loves you, not because of your performance and not performance. When God loves you, like He loves a two-year-old. And we're all that way. We all have a place within us where we are two years old. Where we're all that concept of doing or not doing is irrelevant. You're a Jewish child. You as an adult. You might be 60, 70, but you're still inside of you. There's a Jewish child who's two years old. Clean, pure, holy. That's, that's Tahir. The little children, by them it's revealed. Just like by Noah it was revealed. By the little children, that dimension is open and it's revealed. They study Torah. That's why we also understand, just like we conclude just quickly, why when an adult learns Torah, even though it's considered as if they're offering a sacrifice, but it's not, it doesn't keep the world standing. What keeps the world standing is when little children learn Torah. And, and this is such a deep word. Again, this is all a talk from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Such a powerful understanding. But he goes and he says, was one something so strong. He says, you realize, when an adult is learning Chumash, the parsha of Karbonos, what is sensed? The understanding, the learning, the understanding. You don't have, again, the reason why learning and, and learning substitutes a carbon, learning about carbon is, it substitutes a carbon in the, in the realm of speech. It's not like we did the carbon, it's like we sp- in deep were in speech. Um, prayer is instead of carbonos also, but in thought. So you got thought and speech. What did we say earlier is the main quality of carbonos? The main quality of carbonos is not the spiritual side of them. The main quality of the carbonos is just the physical carbon itself because it has no quality, because it's so physical. And so Dafkadat expresses the depth of the relationship between God and the Jewish people. Well, that you don't have when an adult learns. Why? Because the realm of speech and thought express mainly... what. what when someone is learning something, when they're an adult, what you're sensing in their learning is their in- intellect, their understanding, their emo- how they're relating to it, the emotions that are there, the in- intellect, the understanding of their excitement. Their, that's what's visible. The letters, the actual words themselves, are just vessels for emotions and ideas in the world of thinking. And that's, that's all the world of quality. That's all the realm of reason. When the little child learns Vayikra, it's even before their age of Chinuch, like we said earlier. It's even before they even begin to have any understanding of what they're learning. Because, again, when do we learn with them Vayikra? Not just when they're little. When they begin, begin their first learning. After they learn Aleph Beis, they start learning Chumash. The first time, we start with Vayikra. That kind of learning has no understanding at all. You know what these kids are doing? They're just moving their lips. They're just physically, physically producing words. Those physical, most literal, most, most material aspect that they have in their learning because they don't understand anything. That itself is the whole idea. Because that itself reveals the purity of why is it special? Because a little Jewish boy said it. A little Jewish girl said it. That's why it's special. And God says, I love it. I'll give you an example for that. As a, as, a, as, a, as a parent, your child goes and scribbles something with crayons. And it's like, oh, you love it. It's so deep to you, it's like unbelievable. Anybody else looks in it? It's ridiculous. What are you excited about? 
Why are you hanging this, this, this up as art in your house when it's, 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 it's really pathetic? But to you as a parent, especially if it's the first time your child took a crayon and colored and blah, blah, it's, it's, whoa! That's what it is, Tahasha. The essence of the, of the bond expresses itself in those scribbling of words that this little child say that they don't even know the meaning. Here you have the Jewish essence in all of its purity. May we merit that this Ava Atzmus of Hashem to the Jewish people should reveal itself this month of Nisan. In the month of Nisan, we all go back to our child, Nari Yisrael Vahaveyu. God loves the Jewish people because we're tiny, we're small. As a little child, that's where redemption comes from. May we merit that we experience the full and complete redemption. And may it happen now, now in the merit of the innocent little child that is within each and every one of us. Amen. Amen.